In this week's episode, it's a brand new day and a brand new Gotham, and boy, howdy are we here for it. Excellent number ones this week include a new take on Catwoman and give us plenty to share with you. It's all happening now on Cover B. Hey everybody, welcome back to Cover B. Welcome back for another rousing round of Cover B. It's been a couple weeks. It has, yeah. Last week, honestly, there just wasn't anything to talk about. Yeah, we, we read books, but we didn't feel the need to share them with kinda, you. Kind of light on number ones, and none of them really impressed us. So, uh, But this week, we have some good stuff. Yes. We have some good horror content, which yes. is nice. Uh, so let's dive in. Yes. Uh, the first thing we want to talk about is Refrigerator Full of Heads, number one. This is coming out of the Hill House imprint at DC. Uh, it's been a while since we've seen a Hill House book. Uh, this is not written by uh, Joe Hill this time around. Basketful of Heads was. Uh, this is written by Rio Yours and with art by Tom Fowler. Uh, this one is technically a sequel to Basketful of Heads. It takes place on Brody Island again. However, it takes place like a year after the events of Basketful of Heads. Um, and it honestly doesn't have too, too much to do with that one it seems aside from the centerpiece of the axe uh that can decapitate things and keep them alive uh we are following a new couple of individuals i don't know if they are a couple or just a couple of individuals they are going on a kind of sabbatical to uh brody island for the peace and quiet uh the woman of the couple claims to be a writer there's something weird about them. I don't know. Um, they kind of somewhat seem a little bit sus. Anyway, they stumble upon the axe as well as stumble upon a whole new bevy of crime and intrigue happening in the midst of Brody Island. Uh, T, what'd you think? I hadn't read Basketful of Heads. Um, I think it was just like... It just somehow snuck under my radar. Happened to be like the one Hill House that I hadn't read. Mm. Um... So this one I come in without context, admittedly, but I think that's kind of good because I'm able to kind of serve as the the un untested variation. <laughs> I am the I am the test group mm-hmm. on whether this one holds up for new readers. I thought it was really cool. I it's kind of bananas to be quite honest with you. Like you're kind of like, oh, I know exactly what's happening. And then it sort of flips sideways and then does a little turn and then does a little pirouette. And you're like, wait, I don't know what's happening. And now I'm a little confused, but I like it. Um, (laughs) The plot jumps real fast. Um, Like Chris said, the main characters do not seem to be what they seem to say they are, which honestly gave the book more intrigue for me. Um, and I, I am definitely interested about the axe. What's nice about the axe is that you pretty much understand what's happening with it, whether you've read Basketball Heads or that not. Is, that is good. This is a sequel, but they do a decent enough job, it seems like so far, isolating the story from the the first one. Right. You know, this yeah. is going to be its own separate thing with just similarities. But new characters, new year, new kind of narrative so it's not gonna i don't think it's gonna rely too much on knowledge of the previous one it's true and one of the things i really like about this honestly is that it opens itself up to a lot of speculation and i Mm. as you guys obviously know i love to speculate on oh i think the main characters are actually this and they're trying to do this and they're doing this and that's why they're here and they're doing this 
And I love that sort of stuff. So even if the book was only like, eh, okay, it's like bumped up a level for me because I like <laughs> the ability of being like, ooh, I think this is what's going to happen. Yeah. So this book opens itself up to a lot of that because it's fast paced and there's a lot happens in a very few amount of pages. And I'm here for that. Yeah. This one compared to the first one compared to basketful of heads was a bit weaker. It's not written by Joe Hill. The writing just is not as smooth. Uh, it does a little bit of that, like that type of writing where it's, it's like, oh, hey, we're edgy. Look at how many swear words we can use. Yeah, it and definitely like, did that. It doesn't feel very organic or natural. The There's two groups of characters kind of being thrust together, and I suppose it makes sense, but it's also a little like, oh, that's convenient. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's otherwise, it's it it's fun. I really liked Basketball of Heads. I'm excited to see more of this. I think it's a unique, like having kind of a slasher story but the slasher the one doing the weird supernatural slashing isn't the bad guy and working in kind of like bizarre norse mysticism into it yeah is it's fun it's it's a nice twist on things and that's what i liked so much out of basketball heads is you see the the cover art and the ads for it and stuff. And you're like, Oh, this is going to be about some like slasher with an ax, but it's much more than that. If you haven't read basketball heads, I highly recommend it. Definitely go back and read it. Cause it was probably one of my favorites of the Hill house wave, like the first Hill house wave that we got. And hopefully this means we'll get a new wave of Hill house stuff. Cause all of that's been pretty fun. Agreed. So I'd like to see more and more of that coming back. Uh, next up, we have a book from Image, uh, Nita Hawes Nightmare Blog, number one. This is written by Rodney Barnes, uh, with art by Jason Sean Alexander. That is the same team that did Philadelphia. So if you like that one, this one's definitely for you. Uh, it seems like they're setting up their own sort of like shared universe, so it's very possible that we'll see a connected story here. Um, and it's possible that Nita Haas is a character from Philadelphia. I haven't been reading Philadelphia, so I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we follow a few different characters in this. Uh, the titular Nita Haas, who is a parapsychology professor who also runs a, uh, kind of Ghostbusters-esque blog where she asks people to reach out to her. Uh, for any experiences they have with demons uh, because the spirit of her dead brother uh, claims that the city they live in, Baltimore, is absolutely filled with demons and she needs to do something about it. Uh, we also follow a detective who is tracking down a series of brutal murders and then we follow a demon himself who has possessed the body of an invalid old man at a nursing home. And he seems like he's going to be our main antagonist. Uh, and yeah, so it's told across those three different narratives, including one narrative, which seems to be the future or some sort of future. Um, that takes place in the beginning with Nita. Uh, and then those narratives are all kind of, kind of come to a head based around this initial story. T, what did you think? I thought this was pretty good. 
I enjoyed how they were able to kind of give us the perspective of all these three people, weave their stories together, and, but make it flow well still. Um, sometimes when you kind of like thrust different perspectives together, it doesn't always work. Um, it just feels disjointed or it feels like they're doing different narrations just for the sake of doing narrations or there just wasn't a better way of articulating these people's position in the story. Um, this felt very fluid. It felt like the transitions between the different narrators at any given moment made sense. Um, I like getting the perspective from the demon. I thought that was really cool because that's not something you typically get in a book like this, especially when you're jumping from like character narrations. I think it makes it, it's very common to have like the victim. So like Nita and then the detective and then there'd be like some other guy. Like normally I feel like we'd have the perspective of the, the night nurse at the, nursing home and those would be the three perspectives but switching it to the demon i think is very cool mm -hmm. and not something you see a lot i think that gives it a much more well-rounded yeah. vibe um and it gives it backstory without having to shoehorn it or have to have like the main character looking over you know microphage at a library or some nonsense yeah. like it kind of helps weave out the very stereotypical bits in a, in a book like this, it, it kind of just helps be like, no, this is what happened. And the demon's going to tell you about it. And, I'm, yeah. and I like that. I think that was a really good use of storytelling. I think that's not something that's done enough. I agree. So props to them. I, uh, I loved this book. I'm very excited for it. I'm sad that I passed on Philadelphia. Uh, I know Philadelphia is doing really well. It's got a few awards and stuff. Uh, and I just looked, this is directly connected. Nita talks about her ex in this book, and the ex is the main character of Philadelphia. Um, I might actually go back and read Philadelphia. Philadelphia came out during a time when there was just like a million vampire books coming yes. out, and I just couldn't. You I guys just... remember how often we were complaining yeah. about the it's, amount of we've vampire We've had some books. distance from vampires now, so maybe, but it was just like... You know, it came out during this period where there was just nothing but vampire books coming out. And, it like, that was the whole horror scene was just, like, vampire Vampires. books. And so I passed on it because I was just so done. I'd been burned by others. And I had some that I liked, but just I looked at it and I debated. And I was like, I just don't need more vampires in my life. <laughs> so we, I passed on it initially. But now I might go back and read it because this was really good. And it's a cool book. I like that it's told across different perspectives. It's easy to follow when those perspectives kind of come in and out. Uh, I like the motivation of... I, li I like the motivation and the, I guess, the tool the main character is using. I like that it's just like, I'm going to do a blog and people are going to reach out to me. I think that is a cool kind of fun... Uh, I don't know, I guess relatable or grassroots type way of doing it. Not like, yeah, you know, not like Ghostbusters where they're like, we're going to start a freaking business, you know what I mean? But it, it kind of at the same time harkens back to the classic scene of the like crappy Ghostbusters public access television commercial that they did, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, but it also doesn't feel as overplayed as like, I'm a YouTuber and I go and do videos in haunted places and disprove yeah. that they're haunted. Like it's not, it's or not even, overplayed. Even as overplayed as like, I'm a renowned medium and yeah, stuff like that. Exactly. 
Exactly. So I dig it. I, I like the characters. I like where they're coming from. Uh, I think it's a good setup. And the villain has already really like struck a chord as a very interesting villain. Uh, and yeah, it's it's just neat. And I know it's set in Maryland, but it also kind of has some like... I have a hunch the villain, like the, the demon type thing, is going to tie into all the myths surrounding various blues legends, like selling their soul and stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. it seems to be tying into that. Which... As a southern boy, you know, and a fan of blues as a movement and as a as a genre, uh, that really appeals to me because it's got very like Tennessee, Alabama type blues mythology yeah. type vibes. Uh, so I'm very excited <laughs> to see that play out. I agree. Uh, finally, we are going to be talking about a black label magazine sized uh, new title coming from dc uh catwoman lonely city uh this is written and art done by cliff chang uh this finds selena at the age of 55 being released from a 10-year prison sentence she was actually supposed to be in prison longer she's been released early thanks to mayor harvey dent yes uh (laughs) Exactly. And she comes out into a Gotham that is not one she's used to. The people she used to run with have all kind of moved on, gotten day jobs, or if in some of their cases gotten basically gone from villain to renowned, loved individual. Um, And she's just, the world is, Gotham is safer and is clean and there's a solid police force that doesn't seem corrupt and everyone loves the mayor and there's no vigilantes and no masks at all no masks at all etc 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 and she is trying to find not only her way in the world but also uncover mysteries uh the mystery of batman's last words to her before she went to jail on an event called Fool's Night, which we get a little drip-fed of some of the stuff from Fool's Night, but we don't know everything yet. Uh, T, your thoughts? I love instances where DC and Marvel, to some extent, broach storylines in a realistic position of aging. Mm -hmm. Like... It's one of the reasons why I've really liked all of the life story stuff from Marvel. It's why I like some of the variations they do in DC. Like, I really like it when they're like, hey, guess what? These people age. And they have to deal with that. Because you're not flipping over around on rooftops at 55 years old. It's not that you're inherently old, quote unquote, but your body is not going to move the same as it did when you were 20. (laughs) It's just, there's a reason you don't see cheerleaders in their late 50s, early 60s. You're just not built the same way anymore. And that's okay. But then you have to deal with, what does that mean for my life? And I think that's a really cool thing to have to watch because Selena's literally like, wow, I am not the person I was before I went into jail. I have come out a very different person. The world is a very different place. I have no idea where I fit into it. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, I'll go about doing the same things I've always done. But the same things she's always done don't work. 
The people yeah. around her are different. The world is different. The city is different. Heck, where she used to live, she can't even live anymore. Yeah. Like, it's it's one of those scenarios where it's like, hey, guess what? The world goes on. And I like that because I feel like so often, I mean, Batman was created how many years ago? The 40s. And has never aged has been the same age forever. It's why I like Batman Beyond. Like, it's one of those scenarios. I like it when you show that people get old. Because people get old. And Batman ain't Superman. He's gonna get old. He's just a dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, I like when you show characters that get old. Because people get old. And it's unrealistic to think that these people never change. And, I don't know. I liked this. I thought it was well written. I thought it was well constructed. I think... It feels realistic, and those are my favorite types. I just like when books feel like, yeah, she is going to have a bad back now. She is going to hate climbing stairs. I'm in my 30s, and I hate climbing stairs. Like, yeah. it, it makes sense, and I appreciate it. I think it makes the entire super superhero, supervillain scenario more realistic, yeah. more relatable, easier to understand, and, like, just a lot less tropey. Yeah. And they've been doing, DC's been experimenting with that a lot lately, with heroes aging. Yeah. You know, we've got Superman and the Authority, and, you know, all the Future State stuff dabbled in it. You have uh, Batman Catwoman is another Catwoman's old now mm -hmm. kind of thing. Uh, and then, yeah, you've got this. I think this is a really interesting tonal shift from what we normally see... Oh, and just backtracking real quick. I said Batman uh, has been around since the 40s. And before everybody comes for me, Detective Comics 27, March of 1939. It was the 40s. Shut up. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to generalize and say the 30s, but I didn't feel the need to say 1939. Deal with it. Um, <laughs> just putting that out there in case. Uh <laughs> but yeah, it's uh you know, we see the the running trope of Batman villains is they get put away and then they get out and they do the same shit and then they get put away and they get out and they do the same thing and then they disappear yep. and then they come back and they do the same thing. Yep. So having somebody in a position and I I like the time frame that they did it cuz she's like 55, I believe it says that in the book, and she's been in jail for 10 years. So she went to jail when she was like 45. So like conceivably that was around the time probably that if everything had gone normal, her and Batman probably would have started thinking about stopping anyway. Yeah. You know? Um, and the difference between 45 and 55 is a fairly significant leap. Yes. You know what I mean? And so to have her be off the grid, you know, <laughs> off the, the game board for that amount of time is, it's cool. It's cool to see a Batman villain get out of jail. And like you said, they now have to like struggle with identity. And know? not to be like whatever, but like the age range is perfect because it's entirely possible that she went into menopause in jail. Mm -hmm. So like her body physically changed itself mm -hmm. while she was away. So she couldn't learn to adapt. Yeah. And even just beyond the, you know, the actual body things, just... The world that she's thrust into being such a different Gotham gives 
and you know it's it's cool to have this through the lens of selena too who's always been just this chaotic neutral type character yeah it's always just been you know i'm gonna do kind of what i want what works for me but now she's in a gotham where literally two-face is the mayor it's all about (laughs) redemption as long as there's no masks it's all about redemption and you know penguin's doing really really well for himself she runs into Killer Croc in a bar who's just like chilling in a Gotham Knights jersey talking about his, you know, bad hip and stuff like that. And it's like it's I don't know. It breathes like an interesting new breath of life into the bombastic and hyper colorful world that is the Gotham Rogues Gallery. Yeah. But almost makes it sad at the same time. Yeah. Because they're all all these huge personalities and all this huge stuff has just kind of been wiped out by the world just moving on. Yeah. You know, it's it's like we've seen Gotham become a police state. We've seen Superman become a hyper Nazi and wipe out crime as we know it. We've seen all these, you know, even like Gotham gets taken over by demons and stuff like that. Like we've seen all these different like the world of Gotham has changed because of this really extreme thing. This is just a Gotham that grew up. Yeah. You know, and Babs says the best thing, in my opinion, is she's like, was it worth it? Was it jumping around in costumes on rooftops? But, you know, putting money into programs in the city, cleaning up the streets, doing political things and working with people. Made the real difference. Did more than punching people in costumes. Mm-hmm. and that's an interesting take on it it's interesting to see like you know we endlessly see all these like alternate future type stories especially around gotham especially around batman but i don't feel like we've seen one where it's just like gotham basically over a short period of time is just like nah we don't want to be that anymore and that happens that's a very realistic thing like yeah. you look at mm-hmm. new york in like the 70s and 80s yep and it was a like a lot of people would consider it a hellscape. Like it was, yeah. it was nightmarish to some people. And while it wasn't as bad as it got sensationalized, it was still pretty bad. I mean, Jerry Seinfeld during the whole like lockdown thing came out and was like, "I remember when in New York you'd walk outside and somebody's taking a poop on the sidewalk, and we liked it." And everyone was like, "Okay, angry Jerry Seinfeld, just go back inside." Um, <laughs> But, like, that's how it was. They had teams of vigilantes patrolling the subways. They yeah. had, you know, it was it was crazy, you know, and you can see that. Go back and watch, like, early Law and Orders and look at how gritty oh, yeah. and raw it it's is. very different. You look at it today and it's, like, still gritty and raw, but it's a lot, there's a lot more cappuccinos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and that, that happens. You know, cities ebb and flow. Cities go from being really nice to being less nice. They go from being less nice to really nice. It all just depends on things that happen in the city. Yep. And urban settings are that way. When you have a big metro, a big metropolis, it's it's gonna be that way. Yeah. But the cities in DC have always been very like stagnant. Gotham is always aggressive and over the top. And metropolis, time. metropolis <laughs> is always clean and sunny. Yep. And you rarely see them kind of just like do a natural progressive evolution change of yeah and 
this is a cool way of seeing that. I you agree. know, like I, I like the city that is established because I hate the city that's established. You know what I mean? Because it's yeah. it's like Lonely City is the best name for this because it's just such a kind of like bleak. You know, this person went to jail in a in the height of masked vigilantes jumping all over the place, people doing crazy schemes, and she was a thief and was great at it and now she's out and there's like a well-defined police force the biggest problem right now is are there too many police are they being too aggressive which is relatable and (laughs) you know she's not able her body itself is less able to do the stuff that she does but also it's like nobody wants to do that anymore yeah why why make that what you need to do you know and uh and I love Killer Croc in this. He's adorable. He's fresh. I, I love the Killer Croc that they they gave us. Yeah. So this one's really cool. I, I was really excited about this one when I heard about it, and it lived up to it. And then just the art of Cliff Chang just paints Gotham in such a different light, and it's it's cool. It's yes. It's really good. I yeah. just like how down to earth and fun it's it is. Very real. So I agree. That's going to do it for us for this week. Yes. Uh, if you want more episodes of Cover B, you can find them on our website at CoverBpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Cover B Podcast. That is correct. Um, we will probably have another episode for you actually out on Monday. Yes. We're going to be doing another graphic novelties. There's a new Reckless out. New Reckless is out. Woo-hoo! There will probably one day be a day where a new Reckless comes out and we're like, we've talked about Reckless enough. That is ha. not this day. Ha! <laughs> Since when do we not talk about Andrew Baker? <laughs> yeah. This was my favorite Reckless so far, too. So oh, that's awesome. Very excited. Well, that's going to do it for us. We will see you guys on the next episode of Cover Cover B. Bye, everyone.